Welcome to the Tell Us Something podcast. I'm Mark Moss. In this week's podcast, you'll hear stories about the Montana Super Skippers jump rope team heading to Disney World for the national championships, how a young woman deals with her best friend's mental break. You'll go snorkeling in Mexico with a whale shark, sneak fudge crumbs from the kitchen, get lost in the woods, go for a scary ride in Disneyland, and stress out about your AP final chemistry exam. Our podcast today was recorded in front of a live audience on August 9th, 2019 at Zootown Arts Community Center in Missoula, Montana. Seven storytellers shared their true personal story that they developed with me over the course of a week-long summer camp for youth at the Zach. Just to let you know, there is some strange cross-broadcasting chatter in the background of the recording that came from the soundboard somehow. I'm not sure how it got there or where it came from, and it can't be removed. You can't take salt out of soup after all. It doesn't interfere too much with the stories, and I wanted to just acknowledge that it is there. Still, these stories are worth hearing, and I don't think it takes too much away from the experience. All right. Seven young women and I worked together for a week this summer to learn about how to decide what story to share, stage presence, story structure, elements of a story, keeping ourselves, our audience, and the characters in a story safe, as well as making an emotional connection with the audience. They're all incredible young women who went deep and were vulnerable with each other and with me. They supported and encouraged each other, had fun, got real, and shared their truths. And now, they share their truths with you. All of the stories are shared with open hearts and honesty. So, I invite you to open your heart and ears, to listen fully, and to allow these special young women to share their stories with you. Izzy Slaughter is our first storyteller, and she accompanies her competitive jump rope team, the Montana Super Skippers, to the national championships in Disney World. She gives us a peek behind the scenes of a chaotic competition. Her story is called Jump for Joy. I look forward to jump rope practice every week, because I know every practice I'll gain at least one thing. Maybe I'll learn a new trick, get a clean routine, or get a good speed score. We have been gearing up for nationals all year, and our coach Bev was really trying to get us ready, making sure everything was ready for nationals. We would be flying out on a Tuesday, and I would be flying with my mom and my cousin Mia. We were really excited and energetic on the flight. We were so nervous and we couldn't stop talking about it. When we finally got to Orlando, my mom was like, we're gonna go get on the Magical Express now. And I was like, what's the Magical Express? She was like, it's the shuttle to the airport or to the hotel. So we go get on the Magical Express and there's these little TVs everywhere with Mickey Mouse stuff and there's no air conditioning and it's a 45 minute bus ride. So that was wonderful. When we got off the Magical Express, we got to the hotel and my mom was starting to figure out where we were gonna check in. And then Bev comes into the hotel and she's like, come on, let's go to the parade of athletes. And we're like, what? We just got off two flights. She's like, yeah, we're going, come on. And so we grab some jump rope shirts and we go to the big place that we're doing the competition at, the ESPN Wide World of Sports. And we had to go on the Magical Express again. So when we finally got off, we had to get these little key card things to get in. And then we got in there and there's all these competitors, people getting ready for the competition, judges, and then 
we walked in and everybody was looking at our pants because me and I, Mia was wearing these flower pattern pants and I was wearing these <laughs> sweatpants, these Adidas, very thick sweatpants. And so everybody else on our team was wearing shorts and we were not matching that. So Bev put us in the middle where, she, where no one could see our pants. <laughs> and in Florida, it was like a wet, hot Dutch oven. It was so hot there. <laughs> so we walked down the hallway, me and I in the middle with our sign, and we got into the gym, and there's all these Disney mascots like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, and I like them on the cartoons, but not so much when they come to life. <laughs> so that was a little weird. And we started doing the Macarena, and me and I are all dazed, and we're just like, hmm, this is great. <laughs> and then these rapper guys come on, and they're just trying to amp us up for the tournament, but it wasn't really working. They were just rapping about random things, sometimes about jump rope, and it was just kind of strange. After that, we finally got to go back. Well, we had to get on the Magical Express first. We got back to the hotel, and we hadn't eaten. So me, Mia, my mom, and... Uh, one of our teammates, Miriam, who was staying in our room with us. We went to the Disney cafeteria, and we had to wait in two lines, one to get the food and then another one to pay for it. So we got these massive sandwiches that were all kind of dry, and they, they didn't taste that good, but we got food, so we were very happy. We went to bed as soon as we got back to the hotel room because we had to get up at 5. When we woke up in the morning, we had to braid hair and get ready, uniforms and everything like that. And Miriam could kind of do her own hair, and she did her own hair, but she didn't want to do Mia's, and my mom didn't want to ruin it, so <laughs> that left me. And I'm not the best at braiding hair. I can do it, but I'm not that good. So I had to braid Mia's hair, and I was like, it kind of looks like that, and I was like, it's okay, it looks great, just don't look in the mirror, please. And <laughs> of course she looked in the mirror, to see what I had done to her head. And she was like, it's okay, it'll, it'll keep my hair out of my face, it'll be fine. So we put a bunch of hairspray on that and then got into our uniforms and got back on the Magical Express. When we got there, we had to do a thumbprint thing to get into the place, which is kind of weird, but. So we got in, there was even more competitors and we're in this practice gym, everybody's getting ready and we did the team warm-up, and then we had to warm up ourselves for the first event, which was 30-second speed, and we use these wire ropes that do hurt, but that's what we use, and we do this for 30 seconds, and they click our right foot, the judges do. Me and I's best is around 76, but some people, some people are very good, and one guy got 105, and that was crazy. So <laughs> we were amazed at that. And the week went on, the four days, and we kept doing the same routine, different events. And then the freestyle day came. And we were doing three-person double dutch freestyle. And the people on my team were going to not, they're not going to be here this jump rope year. So I wanted to make sure we did good on our routine. And so I was kind of nervous, and when I'm nervous, I just smile really big. So that works out good because, well, you have to smile for the judges, so I guess it's handy. Um, and the judges are really scary when you go out there. I mean, my mom's a judge, but 
she looks scary. And <laughs> they're just kind of sitting there, not smiling or frowning. They just look at you, and it's, it's really scary. But <laughs> we went out there, and we did our first section, smiling, especially me. And it went well. And then we switched, and it did not go well. We are like, it's OK. We can get back into it. We never got back into it. And our routine sucked. It did not go as planned at all. So one of us was crying. We were all sad that it didn't go well at nationals. And then I went back to the practice gym and just sat down. And I overheard my mom talking to this super skipper dad named Carl, who has been doing it for a long time. And I overheard him say, oh, yeah, it's just nationals. There's tears. There's happy moments. It's just how nationals is. And that made me feel a lot better to just know that that's just how nationals is. The next day was going to be grands, which is like the best jumpers go. And they get to do their freestyle routines to music. And their speed is really fast. And there's these big black curtains. And so me and I got to watch that. And then after grands, we went back to the hotel to pack. And I was so relieved that it was over. It was so fun, but very tiring. And I was happy for it to be over. Thank you. Thanks, Izzy. Izzy Slaughter was born and raised in Missoula, Montana, and is a competitive jump roper. She enjoys eating Big Dipper ice cream, skiing at Snowbowl, crafting, and being outdoors. This next story may not be appropriate for some of our younger listeners. Ellie Althauser, Vlad's best friend, disappeared unexpectedly, and when she returns, Ellie discovers why, offering her support and continued friendship. Her story is called The Starbucks Cup. I've been best friends with Burrito Barnes almost my entire life. It's kind of obvious that I changed her name because her privacy matters more than anything to me. And we did pretty much everything together, from baby gymnastics to getting lost in the woods and playing British fairies to pass the time while our instructors came and found us. And we did that from when we were three, everything. We did everything from when we were three and until we were f about five and a half and she had to move to California. And I was really sad that I was gonna lose my best friend and I thought I was never gonna see her again and I had a really hard time making friends when I went to kindergarten without her. And I remember my neighbor, he, let, he was obsessed with Star Wars and his best friend, I wanted to be friends with her. And I asked her if I could like play with them. And um, she said, not if you wanna die. And that scared me so bad. And I started crying and about fourth grade, Burrito came back, she moved back here, and I was so happy that she was like back in Missoula, but I was also like afraid to talk to her because I was, I was so embarrassed about my haircut. If anybody remembers fourth grade me, I had a pixie cut, and it was green. And I was also a swimmer, so a little bit of dye came out every 
Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I think it was Tuesday. Was it Tuesday and Thursday and Friday? Okay, it was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And people thought I was a guy. I was just so mad about my hair that I didn't want to talk to her. And I didn't want to talk to her mom. I didn't want to talk to her dad. I didn't want to talk to her sister. I was just so mad about my haircut. <laughs> and I hated it. I mean, it was. I liked it for a while, but then, but then it, it, everything just flipped upside down. And I kind of took the opportunity of not living in the same neighborhood with her as her, and then also not going to the same school. So the odds were kind of in my favor. And by the time we went to middle school, we went to the same school, and we were best friends again, and we did everything again. And then we were in the same class. We shared a locker, and everything was great. And then um, we didn't see each other over the summer, and then seventh grade came along, and in December, Burrito started showing up with cuts on her left wrist. And I was really scared that I was going to lose my best friend because of the cuts. And one time I thought I did, and but I didn't. It was okay. And before I lost her, she showed up to school with 32 cuts on her left wrist. And that scared me really bad, and I wish I could go back and tell my parents, because they would definitely have like the moral support that I needed at that time, and I didn't tell anybody. <sighs> it's really hard to tell. Yeah, so a couple days before Christmas break, she didn't show up to school, and I remember thinking, oh, she's just on the way for wherever she went for Christmas. And I also thought, wait a second. She wouldn't go anywhere without telling anybody how awesome her Christmas was going to be. So Christmas break was over. I had a great time with my cousins and people in my family. And when I came back, she was gone. She still didn't show up to school again. And a week without her, I was fine. Two weeks without her, I was kind of like like nervous about like her whereabouts. And then that two weeks turned into a month, and that month turned into about six months. And then when she showed up to school, she had this giant Starbucks cup like that big and most it was reusable and most kids who go to Providence Center which is a mental hospital just down the street that way um, come back with those giant cups because that's what they get when they are released I guess and I already knew where she was because the cup was kind of like a big hint and I asked her where she was anyways because I wanted to hear the whole truth. And she told me, and I was so happy that she was back and my best friend was back. 
And about three weeks later, we decided to have a sleepover with a friend, and we got into such a deep conversation about how much we love her and how much we care about her and how much we missed her and how much support she has in her life that she decided to tell us why, well, the reason why she did what she did to get into Providence. So she wouldn't date her neighbor because she thought her neighbor was this big, like, ugly teenager. And he left her a two-minute voicemail, and the voicemail was very threatening, and I couldn't listen to the whole thing. I could only listen to 30 seconds, and I remember crying so hard because I was so mad at this person that I didn't know. And I remember running out of her room because she couldn't listen to the voicemail herself and just flopping on her couch and crying into her arm. And the law enforcement, I guess, have been involved early on. She got this voicemail about August of last year. And I trust that the adults in her life are keeping her safe, that she is safe, and I love her. Thank you. Thanks, Ellie. Ellie Althauser Vlad was born in Missoula and is an inclusive, open-minded, goofy eighth grader at Washington Middle School, except for when her she-demon sister is around. She lives with her parents, sister, cat, and dog. If Ellie were an ice cream flavor, she would most definitely be yellow cake, and only from the Big Dipper, of course. In her next story, Cy Thompson visits La Paz, Mexico, and gets up close and personal with a whale shark one of the largest animals on the planet. We call her story Snorkeling with a Whale Shark. So last year, I went to La Paz, Mexico with one of my best friends, Soleil, her dad, JR, who's been friends with my family for a while, my dad, and my mom. We were going on a 10-day trip, the 1st through the 10th of January, and on about the seventh day, we were going to go on what they called an ocean tour. And so on the 7th, we came to this room with about eight other people, and, and then our tour guide came in. And since it's Mexico, it's pretty warm outside, but the water is still pretty chilly, so he gave us wetsuits. Well, he gave us shorties. And if you don't know what a shorty is, it's wetsuit material with shorts and a t-shirt that are connected. And... He gave us a quick description of what we're going to do, whale sharks, seals, beach. And then we followed him to our boat. (laughs) And on the way, we went past huge, marvelous boats, some fancy boats, some sparkly boats. Everything was awesome. And ours was, like, not super awesome. (laughs) It was like a motorboat with just a cover over it. And it was pretty old. But, like, it's still a boat, so I was happy. And then, so we're getting on, and if you haven't noticed, we're going to be snorkeling in just open water. And 
When we get on the boat, he's kind of explaining that each boat gets a whale shark. And before this, my mom had said that they were really big, but I, I was still pretty excited, so I wasn't thinking about it that much. And when we get out there, he explains a little bit more, and that's when I first look into the water and I see the big shape. <laughs> and it's like a shadowy figure, but like 30, 33, 36 feet long. And to put it in perspective, its mouth is as big as me. So I was like, all right, I'm still excited. But I let the other people go first. And this 15-year-old girl, she goes in with her family, and she's having a great time. And then she comes back out, and I let my parents go first. And my mom's like, whoa, this is awesome. And then she comes back out, and I look at Soleil, and it's our turn. So we go in, and we stay kind of close to the boat, and at first, and then he's like, all right, we're going to have to swim. So I'm, I have a snorkel on, and that's a problem for me because it gets water, and it, I breathe it, and it's not good. But I swim. And he pulls me because I'm slow. <laughs> and he's dragging me over there, and, <laughs> and I get, I get like eight feet from it, and I'm like, all right, this is cool. I can see it. And he's like, yeah, you need a picture. So <laughs> he's like, you're going to have to dunk. So he counts me off. I'm like, oh, my God. And I dunk under. And it's like so quiet. And I can see the light blue transition into the dark navy blue under, it, under us. And the slivers of sun c coming in. And I hear Soleil's little excited voice. And... <laughs> And then I see his hand, and he's like, sigh. And um, he motions me over to it, and that's when I look over there, and I'm like, ugh. And it's like <laughs> 36-foot-long, giant creature. And I'm like, OK, that's cool. And he's like, swim more. And I'm like, OK. And I swim over there, and I'm like a foot away from it, and he shoves me next to it. I'm like, ugh. And it's like so close, and I'm like, I don't really want to look at it, but then I look over there, and it's so like, it's like kind of frozen in time, and it's just so gentle and rounded, and its spots are so perfect on it. And it's, and it looks more gentle than I pictured it, but it's still like really big. And I'm like, okay. And I just am standing there with it, and he's like, okay, I got your picture, let's go. And so he drags me back over to the boat. <laughs> and that's when I see, like, this, like, it, it's kind of, like, funneling, stuff funneling into its mouth. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And so he tells me that, like, it's eating. And I don't know what you know about whale sharks, but to eat, they put their head up like that on the surface and their fins are down like this. And then all the plankton and little fish and plants and stuff fall into its mouth that are sitting on the top of the water. And I'm like, whoa. And I like look at it for a while. And then and then he's like, all right, get on the boat. And so 
I get on the boat and I'm like, okay, that was cool. And everyone's talking about it. And then it hits me. I just survived getting shoved against one of the biggest creatures on our earth. And that's a memory that I will never forget. Thank you. Thanks, Cy. Cy Thompson has lived in Missoula, Montana most of her life. She enjoys the arts and crafts and the outdoors, mostly skiing and swimming. She loves animals, all of them. In her next story, Annie Smith loves helping her mom make fudge, and when she has eaten her quota, she retreats to her room, only to sneak out again and raid the fudge crumbs when her mother isn't looking. We call her story Fudge Crumbs on the Sly. It's about Christmas time, and I'm little, about four. My grandpa's coming to visit all the way from Lewistown, and I'm really excited because I don't get to see him that often since he lives five hours away. My mom and I are making fudge for the occasion. Actually, my mom's making fudge, and I'm trying to help her, which probably isn't actually helping. When the fudge is finally finished, I'm super excited to eat it since we don't have very much sugar in our house, and I eat it right away and fast. By the time my grandpa finally arrives, I've already eaten all the fudge I'm allowed to eat. And so he really likes fudge. It's his favorite holiday treat. But what he likes even more than the fudge is the fudge crumbs at the bottom of the tin. So that's what my mom gave him. And watching him enjoy those fudge crumbs made me really want some. But I couldn't have any. I was pretty disappointed, but I went to my room to play with my dolls, Tommy, Nikki, and Sal. My grandpa always used to tease me about naming them after people in the mafia, which I never understood until now. But while I was playing, I could not stop thinking about those fudge crumbs. They looked so good. I really wanted them, especially since I couldn't have them. So I tiptoed down the hallway into our kitchen. I climbed up onto the countertop using the little handles on the sides of the cabinets. Then I grabbed the fudge tin out of the cabinet above me and opened it. Underneath the fudge was my reward, the fudge crumbs. So I scooped some out and ate them, guiltily looking over my shoulder, but feeling pretty accomplished and pleased with myself. Then, this part I didn't really think through too well. I went into the living room where my mom and grandpa were talking and interrupted whatever they were saying and started talking myself. But I still had fudge on my teeth. So my mom asked me what was on my teeth, and through closed lips, I mumbled, nothing. She figured out pretty fast what I'd been doing. So then she told me that she had to be able to trust me, like I couldn't lie. Then people might think I was pretending all the time, and I had to earn her trust back. So, my four-year-old mind came up with a plan. A few days later, I was in my room. I was drawing pictures. I drew a picture of a bumblebee and a picture of a flower. Then I went outside where my mom was sitting, and I showed her the pictures. I pointed to one, this is a bumblebee. Then another, this is a flower. Totally truthful, right? In my mind, I had just earned my mom's trust back and everything was great. In my mom's mind, I was probably just showing her some pictures. I'm not sure that my plan actually worked, but we'll just say that it did. Thank you. Thanks, Annie. Annie Smith was born and raised in Missoula, Montana, and enjoys reading, crafting, traveling, playing sports, playing the violin and piano, and being outside, especially in the water. Next up, Winter Bradley goes camping with her siblings, father and uncle, in the wilds of Montana. She tests the boundaries she was given and strays beyond the sightline of the adults. Listen to her adventure of being lost in the wilderness in a story we call Lost and Found. Okay, 
So when my twin sister and I were five, and my obnoxious younger brother was three, my dad and uncle took us camping. My siblings and I really wanted to explore, so he handed us some walkie-talkies, which was obviously the coolest thing ever, and he showed us how to use them. I think I was listening, but my mind was also wandering off about how much fun I would have with these awesome walkie-talkies. And so he pointed to like a tree, and he said, you can go this far and no further, and you have to be able to make sure you can see us at all times. And so we went to the tree and had fun. And then me, being the confident five-year-old, decided we should go further. So we went further, and further, and further, until my twin sister said, I think we're lost. And yes, we were lost, very lost. And so, my twin sister and my brother were the smart ones and decided that we should all stick together. No, not me. I thought we could find our uncle and dad quicker if we split up. So I left them behind and walked off. After some time, I started getting worried. Every little sound bothered me. Like if the wind blew through the trees, I was scared. If the tw a twig snapped, I was scared. I think I stepped on the twig myself, but I was still scared. <laughs> anyway, um, so after a while, I was like freaking out. And so I was starting to cry. And I was like, what if I never see anyone ever again? And so I walked further and then stopped. And then I heard something. And finally, I realized it was my uncle coming in his Jeep trying to find me. I was so happy and climbed right in the back of his Jeep. And then he gave me a really long and stern talk about how it is not okay to not listen to my dad. And so I was listening and then my mind wandered off. If my uncle was mad at me, then what will my dad think? So we stayed, we went to the, our campsite and waited for our uncle, I mean, my dad and siblings. They came, and he had my siblings. Hooray. Um, anyway, my dad, I don't remember if I was punished or not, but he did have did lecture us about how we were bear bite-sized and could have been gone forever. And so my dad's an honest man, and so he told my mom, I think, that it was like a normal camping trip. Nothing happened. And so my mom didn't find out that this happened until recently, and she was surprised. <laughs> and so that was my lesson on how, why, like, I should listen to my dad. So I listen to my dad, sometimes. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Winner. Winner Bradley is going into eighth grade. She likes to travel, sing, dance, and write. She also really likes gyros and fries. It's her first time sharing a story at Tell Us Something. Thanks for listening to the Tell Us Something podcast. If you enjoy the stories you hear, please recommend the Tell Us Something podcast to one person who has never heard it before. You can subscribe to the Tell Us Something podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. We have two more stories in this episode. Before we get to them, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Logjam presents The Good Food Store, CabinetParts.com, Axis Physical Therapy, 
Missoula Federal Credit Union, Fieldy Design, and Missoula Bone and Joint. Also, the next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on September 24th. The theme is Leap of Faith. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com. All right, let's get back to the storytelling. Hannah Lundy visits Disneyland with her parents and discover the Guardians of the Galaxy ride is not what they expected. We call this story Disneyland Dropdown. Okay, so Disneyland is supposed to be this place that's super magical and wishes come true and the adults can become children. But that is not the case. So don't listen to the commercials. So me, my mom, and my dad were going to go to Disneyland for a family trip just without my brother. And we had a lot of fun on the first two days. And then the third day came. By now, we had discovered that it was much better to go on some, most of the, some of the rides at night because then it wouldn't be as hot. So... Me and my mom and my dad were wandering the park going on rides when we stumbled across a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy is my favorite show ever. And the fact that there was a Guardians of the Galaxy ride, it was so cool. And so me and my dad decided to go on the ride. So my mom at the time, I don't remember where she was, so... My dad texted her that we had found a Guardians of the Galaxy ride and that she should come over here right this minute. So by the time she'd gotten there, me and my dad had purchased the tickets and were in line. Um, so my mom came over and was like, you're going on Guardians of the Galaxy? Do you know how scary that is? Are you sure that Hannah will be okay? And I was like, I am fine. I'm going to be okay, Mom. And so... When we got to the front of the line, the ticket guy looked at us, and I was like, hmm. And then he scanned our tickets but asked me, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 12. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, I'm pretty sure that I'm 12. And he was like, are you sure that you want to go on this ride? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I want to go on this ride. So he didn't look too happy about this, but he led us onto the ride. And... So you don't go directly onto the ride. You go inside this big room with a bunch of stairs and creepy music and lights. So we went up the stairs directly ahead of us and got into yet another line. So by this time, it was starting to get pretty freaked out because a lot of the other kids that had been leaving the ride did not look too happy. But I decided not to pay attention to that. And I was starting to regret my choice. So when we got so we got onto the ride. It isn't we kind of knew what it was, but we weren't completely sure. Well, I wasn't sure anyways. I, just, I think my dad knew. He just wasn't willing to tell me. So it was a five from the outside. It was a five-story tall building that was completely Guardians of the Galaxy themed with like the little pipes on the edges and little blue spray paints on the side. And it was really creepy when we got into this sort of box-like thing with a bunch of rows of seats. There were about 15 people that could fit into the seats, including us. So then Rocket, who is 
the one of the main characters from Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's a raccoon. It was a hologram, of course, though. Came out and started to lecture us about safety and how to have fun and how to be careful on this ride. And I wasn't really paying attention because we were rising into the air. It was sort of like an elevator type of rising, but we were still rising, and I was not too happy about that. I'm not that good with heights when I don't know they're about to come. So when we get to the top and of the, or what I suppose was the top, was of the ride, the ra- rocket, the raccoon, says, so have a great time, folks, and remember, don't fly out of your seats. And then he goes away, and we're like, okay. And so we're in sort of like this vertical hallway, and the two panels directly in front of us open to leave this picture of Disneyland, but it was sort of like a post-apocalypse Disneyland, and that was not too exciting. And all of a sudden, that picture disappeared as we dropped. And I like thrilling rides, but not this one. So we dropped super fast, and then all of a sudden, we jerked to a stop. And then we started to rise again, and we just were like going on this down, up, down, up thing. And of course, I had no idea when it was going to stop. So like, and it felt like eternity when in reality it was like five, 10 minutes. So we get off this ride. I mean, I'm not the only one who was freaking out, but I was also the oldest who was freaking out. So... We're all getting off this ride, and there are children crying everywhere. And I'm like, I'm, I'm crying too, except like a lot more than everyone else. <laughs> so I wasn't particularly pr- proud of that moment. So my dad is like obsessing over that ride and how much fun it was. While I'm over here standing next to my mom, having a complete and total meltdown. And so my dad was like explaining how great the ride was. And then he goes, he looks at me and goes, and then says to my mom, do you have any cash? And I'm like, and my mom's like, you are not going on that ride again. And he's like, I know, I know, maybe later, but do you have any cash? And she's like, so she hands him some cash. And he's like, okay. And then he walks away and I'm like, are you kidding me, Dad? I'm here crying because of you, the ride that you wanted to go on, and you're going to leave me. So I wasn't too happy about that. So my mom's trying to calm me down. We're looking for some water. But the only water that there is is, like, the $5 water bottles that are, like, this small, and we are not going to do that. So after about five minutes, my dad comes back, and he's like, Hannah, I have something for you. I'm like, go away. And he's like... Are you, do you want to see what I have for, for you first? And I'm like, yes. And so he shows me my, a doll of my favorite character ever from Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot. Groot is like this small tree guy-ish thing. And I immediately loved it because like it's Groot. And so I take it from him and I'm like, great, thanks. And he's like, are you going to forgive me though? And I'm like only because you gave me Groot. And then 
he's like, okay, but do you like actually forgive me? Cause I can, do you want to go on that ride again sometime? And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so it wasn't, I mean, I guess Disneyland is fun, but don't trust rides that your dad picks out for you. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Hannah Lundy is a happy girl going into seventh grade. She loves dance and gymnastics. If she were an animal, she would be a goat. Our final story comes to us from Gwyneth Purrier, who decides to take AP Chemistry. She takes us on the journey of humor and anxiety that is the final exam. We call her story Shooting for a Three. So when I was going into ninth grade, I moved to England, and we were going to an international school, so it's sort of like an American school still. But I had to choose between one of the three sciences to take, uh, biology, chemistry, or physics. And I knew I didn't want to take physics because I'd taken an intro to physics class in eighth grade and despised it. So that was off the table. And I knew I wanted to take biology right before I took it for IB. So I was going to take that in 10th grade, which left chemistry. And I also didn't really want to take that either. But it was the only one left. And my dad had been teaching it for a really long time. So I took the class. And I ended up really, really enjoying it. I had this really cool teacher called Miss Higgins. She told us to call her Kate, but we were all really uncomfortable with that, so we just called her Miss Higgins. And when we were like working on our own work sometimes, we would like talk about TV shows like Game of Thrones and stuff. And so towards the end of the towards the end of ninth grade, we had to choose our classes for the next year. And I had filled out all my classes or whatever, but I had one missing class that I needed to take. Uh, it was usually like an elective block, but I didn't want to take any of the other, other electives. So I didn't have anything to take. And I was standing outside my advisory, which is kind of like a homeroom, one day, and I was listening to music. And I hear my name called down the hall, and I turn around and take out my headphones, and it's Miss Higgins. And she says, you should take AP Chemistry. And I was like, okay. And she was like, that's all. She walked down the other hallway. And for some reason, I just started crying. <laughs> and I really don't know why I was crying, but I was crying. And I sort of calmed myself down, but then I went into advisory and I was telling my friend about it. And I started crying again. She was like, why are you crying? And I was like, I don't know. And <laughs> so I ended up being put in AP Chemistry. And if you don't know anything about AP, it's sort of like there's a big test at the end of the year. You learn all the content during the year. and. Uh, the scale is sort of like one to five. One is like you're completely incompetent. Five is like you're a genius. Three is what you want to pass. And the exam's in May. And so I walk into um, AP Chemistry on the first day of school. And I was the only 10th grader in the class. Normally 10th graders don't take AP Chemistry. It's one of the most difficult ones. And a couple weeks later, my friend Allison from History the year before came. So that was OK. And, well, until she put us in these groups to do sort of group work, and so I had to actually talk to people. But I made friends, a couple of friends, Musa, Kate, Monica. And the time's going on. We go over on Christmas break, and we come back, and it's time to audition for the spring musical. And my theater director was kind of, he, he was um, 
choosing some weird shows for the year. Um, so this one was sort of a South African musical with uh, like folk tales and stuff. And I tried out and I got in, I was in the ensemble and was gonna have a speaking part as well. And I went to the first rehearsal and we were reading through the script or whatever and they gave us the rehearsal schedule. And I was looking at the schedule and I was like, this is gonna be a lot of rehearsals. Like I'm gonna have rehearsal every day. And I had already done that first semester but I ha wasn't having to study for an AP. And I went to my mom's room and I'm sitting on her couch. She had this, this couch in her classroom. And I was like, mom, what do I do? Like, I, I, how am I gonna study? And she was like, I, well, I don't know. And I just started crying because I was so stressed out. I didn't think I was gonna have time to study, but I didn't want to let my theater director down. And my mom was like, if it's gonna stress you out that much, you should just quit, Gwyneth. And I was like, okay. So I dropped out and time was going on. And after February break, we are supposed to have mocks, which sort of gives you an idea of um, what you're gonna get on the final exam except that it's graded by your teacher. And so we had February break, and I went on this cruise to the Canary Islands, which are like off the coast of Spain. And I was trying to study, but my mom kept saying, she was like, Gwyneth, stop, just stop, just enjoy the vacation. And I was like, okay, fine. So then after February break, I took the mock, and I got a super high two. Basically, if I had gotten two more questions right on the multiple choice, I would have gotten a three, which was good, because that's what you want to pass. And so we're going on, we're learning more stuff. And at the beginning of April, we finished the syllabus, which was really exciting because most of the time, AP Chemistry doesn't finish it just because there's so much content. But we finished, and so we had time to study without also having to be learning new content. And I had this book that I gotten at the beginning of the year called Five Steps to a Five. It was about this big and this thick. And each chapter was split into different sort of sections of the course. And my dad was like, okay, Gwyneth, we're gonna have to start doing this like one chapter a day. And I was like, okay. For most of the chapters, we sort of just skimmed through like to know what the chapter was about so we could do the questions at the end, which was like multiple choice and the free response, which is what the exam is split into. So we were doing that, and then April break comes around, and I'm like, well, we're going to Greece, but do I have to bring the book with me? And my dad was like, we're bringing the book with us. And so before or after we'd do our activities for the day in Greece, we would study on my bed in the Airbnb. And we got back and I had from break, and I had to register for AP, and we were all sitting in the ILC, and we had to fill in our name and our address and our school address and our school code and our student code, et cetera, et cetera. It took a lot. <laughs> and then we were studying, we we're doing last minute studying, and then it was time for the exam. On May 8th, I took my first one, uh, which was AP Euro. But then on the 9th, I had AP Chemistry at 8.30 in the morning. And I went in for the day and I took a nap on my mom's couch because I was nervous and I didn't want to study anymore. So I went and I sat outside the exam room after that and we were all sort of gathering around. We were answering sort of like quick review questions and like specific things people wanted to know. And then we went into the exam room and I'd already used my sheet I'd filled out at registration on my exam the day before, so I had to refill out all the things, my name, my student code, the school name, the school address. <laughs> um, 
And then we started the exam with the multiple choice. And the way they do it is like it's easy at the beginning, and then it gets really, really difficult towards the middle. And then it's like, oh, we're going to give you more easy questions now. So we finished that, and we weren't really worried about that. We'd all done pretty well on the mock for that. And we sort of talked about it during the break between. We were like, well, that wasn't really that bad. And then we went, we did the free response, and I was really stressed out because it was getting towards the end, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish all the questions because it was like A, B, C, D, E on each question. There were seven questions. And so I was doing like bits and pieces because that was the strategy we talked about. And so I did what I could, and the exam finished, and... It, the free response actually wasn't that bad. We were all really nervous because we'd all done really bad on the free response on the mock. We pretty much all failed it. And we got out, and Ms. Higgins was there. And she was like, how'd it go? And we were like, it was OK. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I didn't finish all the questions on the free response. She was like, that's fine. And I was like, yeah, but I did like bits and pieces, what I could. And she was like, that's good. That's what we talked about. And so I was feeling a lot better about the free response. Now for AP, you don't get your exam results until July. That's two months after we took the exam. So that was really, it was a long wait. And I was also moving from England to here at that time. And I was trying to figure out where I would be in the US because we were doing all these trips. And it turned out I was gonna be in Kansas when the exam results came out. So, I woke up on the day of the exam results. I still wasn't adjusted to the time zone, so I was up at 6 in the morning, even though they came out at 8. And when it was time, I went on my computer and I was typing in, and I went to the website that had like the schedule listed. And it was 8 o'clock, and I was refreshing the page, and like, the results weren't coming up. And I was like, where, where are my results? And it turned out I had to go to a different website. So I went to that, I logged in, and I got what I'd been hoping for, and I got three, so I passed. And um, I'm really, really grateful that I had Miss Higgins as a teacher, because otherwise I don't think I would have liked chemistry at all. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Gwyneth. Gwyneth Perrier recently moved to Missoula from England. She's going to be a junior in high school and loves to perform. She spends her time reading, writing, and singing along with her favorite musicals. Remember that our next live storytelling event is in Missoula at the Wilma on September 24th. Get tickets for that at logjampresents.com, the Top Hat Lounge box office, or Rockin' Rudy's. Tell Us Something is proud to be fiscally sponsored by Missoula Community Foundation, a 501c3 organization. Learn more about them at missoulacommunityfoundation.org. Thanks again for listening to the Tell Us Something podcast, supporting our youth and live storytelling. Another big thanks to the Zach and its staff of volunteers for making this camp possible. Check them out at zootownarts.org. Thank you most of all to our storytellers, Izzy Slaughter, Ellie Althauser-Vlad, Cy Thompson, Annie Smith, Winter Bradley, Hannah Lundy, and Gwyneth Purrier. Thanks to Cash for Drunkers who provided the music for the podcast, Find them at cashfordrunkersmusic.com. Podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Learn more about Tell Us Something at tellussomething.org.